Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery, Season 2, Episode 16, Either Or by LF Batuman. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Shreds again. <laughs> Changing it up. This has never happened to us before. So so uh, uh, this is our fifth take. We cannot get the start of this. We're, not, we're just blow, we're, keep keep this in. We're mm-hmm. blowing right through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to quote Bill O'Reilly, fuck it, we'll do it live. Yep, even though this is pre-recorded and edited and released way after the fact, we are doing it live. Like my hero, Bill O'Reilly. This is our first bonus episode this season we're doing another one i'm so sorry penguin press was so nice and gave us early copies of this book i want to do them proud we just covered the idiot by elif batuman last episode either or is the second book in the series this is selen's sophomore year at harvard and they gave us this cop copies early so we have to read this early continue the journey um it has just been it's been tough to get this episode started <laughs> But here we are. So we're doing Bud Smith's Teenager next episode. It's another not necessarily campus novel, but protagonists ostensibly of the same age or similar age, high school, teenage, whatever. But here we are, either or, continuing Selen's journey through Harvard and Europe. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it's the same. It's the exact same structure as the previous novel. Wearing, but there's more time spent at Harvard this time. You, yeah, yeah. Although, I, yeah, I didn't... Uh, we talked about that last time. That well, I, so there are there at least... Three, two things I think that we talked about in the last episode that are from this novel. Oh, that I that I just like went in because I read this book before about Svetlana, like the personalities and rooming with each other, and then about the aesthetic life. They're both from this as opposed. Well, to Well, I knew the one. aesthetic life part yeah. was was. So we, had, I mean, we didn't go in depth, but yeah, one of the not confusions, but you were like, I felt like it was much more at Harvard. Like this one's like maybe three quarters at Harvard. Yeah, the yeah. first one was more half half. This is just like she goes to Turkey, she goes to Russia end of novel but like this you know there's a different split here but the same overall structure for sure yeah so as i was saying before we had to stop recording and then restarted um there is something nice about uh literary fiction that enters the form of a, of a series which is typically typically i think when, we, when you think of like books that have sequels and trilogies and things like that they're usually young adult novels or genre novels um your Hunger Games is your Hunger's Games. How, how you always correct me on my on my. Well, Attorney's General. I don't know hung, uh, Hunger Games novels. Hunger's Game yeah, novels. I don't, know. I don't know. And and there are, there's some precedent for this in literary fiction too. There's the Zuckerman novels by uh, Philip Roth, and there is, of course, we talked about last time the Carl of Nausgaard, My Struggle. Yep. Novels, but this is feels different than those because. It's smaller and more personal and intimate. Yeah, I, I think my struggle. I, I haven't read my struggle, so I'm not. I can't really speak right. to that. But there's something about this book that feels very, or this series, that feels very, um, like it's hewing very, very close to the American experience of college, but late late ad- adolescence more than specifically college, right? Because like like I. Obviously, like, Selen and I have completely different life paths, right. but there's things that she's doing in here that I, like, recognize completely as could be part of my own life and things like that. I'm really glad that we read these two in such quick succession because I think if I had read The Idiot when it came out and didn't reread it and, like, there was five years in between, I don't know that I would have remembered that much. I mean, I liked it. I would remember some of it, but I don't remember if I would know. Because, like, this one literally, like, I think you could read this one independently of the first one. And there's some callbacks. Like, they, they, but that's what know. I'm saying. Like, there's, like, there's stuff, like, referencing Ivan. Like, who's Ivan? But, like, you could also, like, I was trying to think about it, like, sort of, if you're reading this as a, the first novel, you don't really need to know who, because, like, it, it explains eventually who Ivan is. You get the sense of who Ivan is. But knowing their relationship helps establish who this person is and, like, what she's been through in the re- in the past, in the recent history. Yes. But what I, what I, so I think, I think, I think I liked the idiot more, but I really appreciated Selen's growth here. And I think that, you know, she's the first novel, the idiot, it's, you know, the reference to the Dostoevsky, but it's also like kind of her, like she doesn't know anything about anything. And here she's like, same character, like almost like a whole new woman because she's much more experienced, much more worldly, more cynical, but also like just more knowledgeable. And you can see a growth, which is cool yeah there's also like a remarkable trick of uh of writing in here where 
she starts taking antidepressants and then like the the like style of the novel changes yeah and you get like a totally different tone um which is like subtle but it's enough for you to be for, for you to be like oh like so the 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 narrative Celine that, that we'd been dealing with um has been weighed down by all of these things that like a chemical yeah. like, like chemical help like brings her out in a way that's much more uh accessible to the reader and also helps to to distance Ivan from her more yes. like go ahead even though she keeps running into dudes who basically treat her exactly the same way that Ivan treats her uh, yeah, kind of, but she's, uh, I'm sure that this is something that we'll spend uh, probably the back half of the episode talking about, but with those dudes, she is also, with the exception of, of, of probably one, um, she's getting something from them that she wants, which she, sure. ne- she never got from Ivan, yeah. right? Like, Ivan, Ivan was like a... Uh, gained his power from withholding and from having more experience than, than, than she has. But once she becomes someone who's uh, sexually active, I, Ivan loses a lot of power over her and sort of recedes into the background of, of the novel because he's no longer this person that's a mystery. He's men. Men in general are no longer a mystery to her. She has this thing that happens where, which I think is what happens in every person's life. I don't want to say every person, but like, it's, I, I think it happens in most people's lives, which is that, like, sex and, and all that stuff is very frightening and feels intimidating and feels like it will never, ever happen for you. Yeah. And then it happens, and then it's like... Oh. Yeah, this is, like, not a big deal at all. Like, or, or not that it's not a big deal, but, like... Your mind makes it a bigger deal than it is. Yeah, it becomes something that, like, this might go especially for for uh uh women who tend to have access to to sex in a way that uh i think there are probably less incel women than there are incel men once once you get sex out of the way you realize and selene realizes this that it's like everywhere all around you and like you you she can have it whenever she wants right there's no there's no, the only real border to her having sex is her being nervous about having sex right and What's what's remarkable, and I, I don't, I, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like weird and gross, but like I feel the the Let's way that, weird and gross. Let's the do way it. that you just say that the second half of the novel, once you start taking Zoloft, changes. Like much of the back half of the novel, she's basically to some extent being sexually assaulted by like every man she comes across. Do you think sexually assaulted? Well, I mean, a lot of dudes are just making out with her. Like, yeah, she just describes like this guy comes up to me, puts my puts his arm around me, then just starts puts his tongue in my mouth. Right, but I think I think she in most of these cases, I think she has agency well, over I, it. I think eventually, like I think she's eventually like okay with it, but it feels like they're taking steps that like. The Selin, Selin, however you want to say it, from the first novel, if that happened to her then, because again, this is a character that we talked about in the first episode, the first book, who had never even kissed somebody before. Yeah. And so there's a scene in here where she gets her first kiss and almost has sex with that dude that same night. And she like, whoa, I, I'm not really super experienced and I do some hand stuff or whatever. But like to go from basically zero to a hundred... I feel like if there's if she was just in you know in the fields of Hungary in the first novel and just some dude like started kissing her she's like well, I don't know but like because by that point she's more experienced it's more okay but like every dude she runs into here I feel like makes a move on her in an aggressive sort of un unwelcomed way that eventually she's like okay with it seemingly but like it just seems like a lot of this is aggressive. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I agree. Um, I think that they're, uh, I forget the guy's name, but the, the, the one guy is definitely abusive to her in, in like a more extreme way than, than everybody else. There's like, there's Vulcan, there's Corey. Corey is the guy who seems cool. He, Corey is the one that seems cool? Cru- cruel. Cruel. Yeah, that's it. The... <laughs> Cuella. Cuella DeVille. Joey thinks that guy is cool. Um, no, I think that's yeah, that's that's the guy that he's like crazy. He's like, he's like the final one that she like. But there's all these dudes that are just like, sort of again gaslighting her. Like, oh, we don't need a condom until I'm about to come. It's just like, no, I think we need it the whole time. Or like the guy's just like, that took it off halfway through. She's like, you what? Like, no, I'm just kidding. I, I did it here. Like, yeah, yeah, funny joke. Good joke, guy. But that's that's what I'm talking about. Like we talked about with Ivan. Where she's like, yeah, strawberries grow on trees. Just like you know, aren't she, she, no? I don't think this is fine. They're like, oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but you're an idiot for believing me or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I yeah, I I uh, maybe I'm 
I may have been reading it incorrectly, but I thought that I, I think that she has like significant agency over the majority of these sexual encounters and feels totally fine with them. Um, I think that's probably a point of an interesting point of conversation that might be more interesting if it weren't two dudes talking about this. Book. I think I wonder, and we could, you want me to look at Egg's email now and she, see if she, cause she did read this as well. And she wrote in, should I see if she mentions that or no? Uh, let's, you want to break protocol and throw her email right into the middle? Sure. Let's do it. Meg's reaction to either or I was surprised at how much I ended up liking this book. The first half of it felt like the idiot and then I was waiting for the plot to start. I wish that there were more scenes within her actual classes, but it felt like the concept of the classes that shaped the novel rather than the classes themselves. The concept of the classes rather than the classes themselves as they did in The Idiot. I thought it was interesting that there was a tonal shift within the narration when Selen went on Zoloft, like you said. Feels like you guys talked about this. I didn't talk about that with her. It felt like you could tell that the depression was lifting. It was also interesting that Selen never really seemed depressed, aside from the crying, which felt like it was explained away by her feelings for Ivan until she was on the Zo- until after she was on the Zoloft, and you experienced her as a narrator without it. I don't have enough time to marinate on this email. That she, Egg MVP of this episode, did a really quick turnaround here. So I'm gonna use bullets to list the rest of my thoughts about the book. I liked all the questions. I liked that by selling questioning things like the male experience being a quote objective experience, it made the reader question them too. I liked that most of the sexual encounters were not sexy but erotic. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I would curious about what the difference between those two things are. I ended up really liking Masut. We'll talk about Masut later. Masut's the guy who like shows her around Turkey and they have yeah. sex. I think like maybe like in the hot springs or something. Mm-hmm. As you do. That's what hot springs are for. I liked the horrible sexual experience with Covey, who's the guy that we were talking about before. Selen seems resistant to call it rape, served to give her strength to stand up to men in the future. I love that the ending was so positive and strong. I felt like the idiot ended with her being aimless, but this felt more secure and comforting with a, with a stronger direction for her future. She wanted something other than being wanted by Ivan. And then I will save the end because she does a twist on her all in all. So we'll save that to the end for later. But she, so she curious about this twist. She, one of the major differences between the first novel and this one is that I think that the absence of Ivan frees her up to be significantly more social in in this book. And she has her friends um, beyond Svetlana that she doesn't seem to have in the first one. Like she has Riley and Lakshmi um, and, and, and Riley's like cool comedy buddy friends yeah. um, who like all of these people seem to open her up significantly to the idea of things like going to parties and drinking and having right. fun in ways that uh, the selling of the first novel does not do largely because I think like a lot of people do during times like their freshman year in college, she has sort of picked one person and decided like this guy's my social life and I'm going to live and die with, with the being accepted by this person. So once she um, omits herself up and once she overcomes the attachment to Ivan, whether that be through Zoloft or through this um, new social circle that she has or through her switching of her, not switching of her major, but she's stopped taking linguistics classes and has focused significantly more on literature, which is something that we should, like that's a big part of the text that we should talk about. Yep. Um, she becomes a much more, extroverted or or if that if that's not, not the right word right yeah I'm, I'm a much more external person this is a much more external novel than the first novel was i think and what i think to the the character the interaction she has with different characters what i think really works from the one to the next is that ivan's still in this but he's only via email and like lakshmi was in the first one but kind of barely he she was just like part of like the literary magazine or whatever and just like in a couple scenes if you want to call them scenes or whatever and then here Basically, the back half of the book, it's kind of the two of them together. Yeah, she gets established as a party girl in the first novel, which is good because it's like um, she's this counter to Selen where it's like um, Lakshmi is having a lot of the college fun that, that yeah. Selen is not having. And then in this novel, you get to see she she does have that college fun while not doing – she's not taking ecstasy and things like that like Lakshmi is. But um, yeah, it's, it's a much more external book. Because I think what – I think we talked about in the first episode a little bit that like – Selen is the idiot, but she's not dumb. She's just naive. She's inexperienced. She hasn't gone to parties. She hasn't been with boys. She hasn't drank. She hasn't done drugs, whatever. And like, even when she's overseas, she's like, I don't, I don't want to drink because I don't drink. It's not like, 
they're like, you want you want wine, you want champagne or whatever you want, whatever we're having. She's like, no, I don't drink. Yeah. Also, the the idiot as a title means something completely different from what the idiot means in Dostoevsky. Um, right. But but like the idiot that Selene is seeing herself as is sort of an omniscient retrospective on 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 who she is at the time which is like how you know when you think back to who you were when you were 18 17 18 19 years old you're just like holy shit how right. how did i not understand how the world worked to that degree i know yeah. and that, and that's what i mean like she's she, she's not dumb she's never dumb she's intelligent she's like very smart she's multilingual whatever and yeah, just smarter here, than than i am now probably yeah because shreds is not very smart are you shreds are you i think you're I think I'm this shreds, time around you're shreds, I'm right? shreds, yeah. I like skateboarding. I like, what was my list? I had a list. I don't of remember. There's a whole episode where you list like the top six or seven. What we see here is that she just starts living. She actually starts doing things. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. And she realizes there's, you know, I also like that she's able to apply her intelligence and her like cynicism of the world. Just like, oh, all parties are dumb. It's just like, <laughs> I, I get what this is. It's just like, yeah. but she's just, she's able to appreciate it. It's just like, oh, I get what this is. And, like, I think she's probably, like, hyper-analytical, but she's also just like, yeah, I can just, like, hang out. And, like, if I want to go have sex, I can basically leave with any guy here because, like, everybody's horny all the time. And, like, I just need to say yes, and I can just, you know, take ownership of that, right? So it's cool. It's smart. I think we should talk about the amount of books she reads in this book. Yeah. And how much of that drives her life and her narrative. And I wasn't thrilled by it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it also kind of fell into, especially in the final chapter, there's so much that she's retelling of a portrait of a lady in the final chapter that felt like a couple different things. Like when we watched Drive My Car and I think, what was the other novel? Was it oh, where they, like, Open City or something? Or just like... In Drive My Car, he's letting uh, Chekhov do all the emotional lifting for him by recounting specifically... And I think another book that we had read this season was also just like, hey, like, this is the the other thing. And so, like, I get that there's a parallel, but I just felt like there was so much of that. And maybe you can dissuade me or persuade me in a different, like, clearly that worked for you because you love this book. Well, yeah, I think it's it's like this, um, in, in, the, in the way that the first novel used linguistics to enhance its themes, this, this book is using quote-unquote critical theory which critical theory is the idea of um attaching different things with in, in through different novels to uh social lenses um and and you can see through her reading of books almost every book that she reads no matter no matter what it is she finds distinct parallels between that book and her and her life right. much much the way that like if you go to a psychic the psychic will be like you can here's what's going to happen with you. And it's like, oh my God, that's like, it was so smart and so right. But it's like, really, they're just saying things that are apply like, to everybody. Well, it's, yeah, it's not that they're, they apply to every, everybody. I mean, they do apply to everybody because emotions are universal. Right. Right. The way that like situations might not be universal, but like if you're reading a book about jealousy and you're a jealous person, you'll be like, this is, this book is exactly about me. So when she goes through these, these different novels and like, superimposes all of the situations onto her life it becomes this exercise in uh a a near inability to separate fact from fiction which you have to then also consider that she that, that the book that we're reading is a book that she's written about her own life because she views her own life as a as a narrative which is similar to these other narratives that she's read so whereas in 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 the last book um linguistics break reality into multiple parts for us to interpret these different worlds in this book it's being viewed through the lens of dramatic arcs and and parallel narratives that are presented in in the different books that she reads over the over the course of her life essentially she's she's uh her life is is defined by what she consumes which i think is the case for a lot of like media crazy people today right they're like Oh, my whole personality is the office or my, you know, uh, my whole wardrobe is things from um, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, do, you, no, do you not know what I'm talking about? No. You, you don't see people with like Jack Skellington oh, sure. uh, hats and stuff like sure. that? Um, it's, it's nothing, you know, no shade to, to, to those people. But it's like we, we, we use 
we use culture to to uh, amplify our personalities because we see our personalities within that those cultures, and it becomes a feedback loop to the point where it's like, well, what am I other than what I consume? Right. If you just look at that from like a fatalist perspective, then is what I consume then who I am r- rather than am I what I consume? Like when I look at books, like are those books shards of me rather than – Are you changing because you're reading the book? Yeah. Or rather are you changing the experience of the book through reading? You know, like it's it's this very like uh, uh, circular logic that, that creates a, a really, really strange and interesting loop. Because I think what's also – sort of telling or linked or related in this novel is that in, in in the continuation of it being more of her becoming more external, I think not only is she reading more books and they're applying to her life, but there's a lot more focus, it feels like, on pop culture. Like they're talking about like pulp there's a thing a joke about pulp fiction. There she's talking about the usual suspects. There's a lot of like records and songs that she's listening to. And it feels like it's not just her inside her own mind, just thinking about things and just worrying about things or whatever. It's she's expanding out like we talked about remember in the first one where i was like the only like point of reference we have in terms of time other than like the, the they tell us when it is is the bomb in atlanta but here it's just like i bought the new you know fiona apple record or whatever right? like it's just like there's a lot yeah, of the things cranberries the fuji right we're just like this is the thing that's going on right now and it's putting you in a time and place like you can feel like you're in a dorm listening to gr- it's not grunge but like you know you can be like oh i was i was there right there is a funny part where she's like uh is it the antidepressant that she's on? But she's like, I started to wonder, did my antidepressants make me like hip hop? Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I I wrote that. I don't remember. And then she was that, also. That part really made me laugh. Was it possible that Zoloft would cause me to like rap music? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Because she buys the single for what? Killing Them Softly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she listens to the other side, which is more of a rap song mm-hmm. as opposed to just like the, the R&B song yeah. or whatever. And she's just like, oh, I actually kind of like this. Well, the, the, I mean, also like that's it's it's like that's a funny joke because it's just like she's at that point existed in like rap is entering mainstream culture so that it's no longer uh, something that's sort of um, relegated to black communities, right? And and, and like special radio stations and and like all these things like it's starting to become something that branches out to, for example, Harvard. Like people are now. Like it's it's entering um, more than just black culture, like across across America. So you get things like the Fuji's and stuff like that. But also like her thinking of Zoloft as something that makes her like interested in rap music is interesting because it's like rap music largely um, is joyful, and and so like if you like it's possible that she wasn't open to the idea of like beats and rhythm and things like that before, right. right? So she didn't have like her her body wasn't ready to like dance, which is like such a funny way to think of it, but it's also it's also like accurate to to depression, right? Well, there's also later I just like that she's she's trying to figure out like how the Zoloft is actually impacting her and I think it's after she's like a terrible hangover one day she's like what if it just dehydrates you? She's like, she doesn't know like how the drug is impacting her. And it's like, yeah, no, you're just like, you're, you're experiencing, like you're living. You're just, you're like, oh, I do like rap music. I do like drinking. I like having, you know, talking to people and having a good time and like, yeah, it feels like, it, feel, it feels like a really accurate depiction of coming out of depression where it's like, oh, all of a sudden, like there's color in the world yeah. and, and there's like, I can hear sounds that I never heard before. And a lot of things like pop culture no longer feels quite as stupid to me. Right. I think the other big thing, other than just, like, literature and the pop culture and all of that, is that a lot of this book is her and all of her friends kind of going, for lack of a better phrase, like, boy crazy. Because they all, like, at one point, I think sort of, like, in toward the end of the first half, they're all just like, we all have boyfriends now. And she's like, wait, what's going on? Like, I don't... And I thought for a while... That she might, because it seems like she might have, she's, I think she's trying to parse out if she has like a, maybe a crush on Svetlana. It feels like, oh, maybe. That's not something that I picked up on at I all. think, because she's also, you know, it just seems like she's thinking about like, because I'm trying to think why isn't she, because there's so many opportunities for her to be with Ivan and like neither of them make a move because he's maybe running a social experiment and she just is afraid. Yeah. But I was also like, maybe there's more, maybe she's just, she isn't, there's something in her that she's like, I don't know what that is. And then, like, everyone's, like, Svetlana's got Matt, and then there's, you know, Riley's got someone, and Gavril, and Katie has sex, and whatever, and she's like, all these people around her are just like, hey, no, we're all, like, we're all having sex now, like, get with it. 
Well, it's because it's because once something seems possible, it's it's that thing. For, remember in Winning Time when he's talking about the guy running the four minute mile. Yep. It's like nobody thought it was possible for anyone to run a four a mile below four minutes, and then the guy did it, and then the next guy did it a week later. Yep. So like if you're if you're if you're not having sex and Svetlana's not having sex and nobody around you is having sex, but then like you're put into this circumstance where now everyone's having sex, I think it becomes a lot easier for you to take that step to having sex because it's like. If all these people around me that I know and know really well are doing it, it can't be that big of a deal. Especially since so much of the first book was her and Svetlana trying to have sex, basically, or trying to, like, worried about, like, focus on it or whatever. Yeah, 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 right. And then she runs the four-minute mile, basically, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also, I think, the the interesting thing with Lakshmi where she's like, oh, no, I don't want to have sex. I want to be married to Virgin because I'm going to have an arranged marriage. I want to be pure. And then she might get, like, roofied or date raped or just something later yeah that's it's it's interesting like the dark places that this book goes to but then sort of walks away from like it's not like it doesn't think too heavily about them and you're left with that darkness and you're left with moving on quickly from that darkness which i think is like is that the impact of the zoloft on the narrative no i i mean I think that that's how life, life works. works a lot of the time right it's like you hear a terrible thing and then like Especially when in the 90s there probably were less networks and people were less aware of things like sexual – I mean the person who is sexually assaulted is aware of sexual assault. But like I think the narrative around that stuff a lot of, for a lot of people is like, okay, well, let's move on. Like there's no sense in us lingering on this thing. Right. So, so like Lakshmi being uh, possibly roofied. Although what the guy says that like, oh, he like put a condom on, realized she was unconscious and then took the condom off and threw it in the garbage. She's like, I think something happened last night. And sounds like, what was their blood? And yeah. she says, no, there was a condom. And then like, but it's unclear because she's like, the last thing I remember is him giving me a second drink, which feels yeah. either like she got drunk or got roofied or something. Right, right, right. And then you think if it's the latter, I don't think that somebody who's going to roofie someone is going to have a change of heart when their plan comes to fruit, you know, maybe who knows, but it's also like characters that like, we know Lakshmi, but we don't really know the guy that she's with at all. He seems a little creepy, I think. Right. right. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I think I, I think about this book is that I think most of the guys in it seem pretty creepy. Also, I think that guy who maybe rakes, rapes Lakshmi's named Joey. And I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck. Um, You're Takayo. What? Takayo. What's that? It's a Spanish word that we don't have in 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 English, but it, it's two people who share the same first name. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I'm just I'm scrolling through my notes. One thing that I like, you know, I think we're to the point where she doesn't lose her virginity yet, but she does the hand stuff with uh, Sahin's Polish friend, who she refers to as the Count, the Count because yeah, that's a good name. She read in a book somewhere that like there's another guy who like with a name that's unpronounceable, and they called him the Count. So she's like, all right, this guy's the Count now. So that's you know, yeah, um, it's funny. But what I liked is that she like you know he undresses her, and she's like, oh, this is all new or whatever. And then she says like she feels her legs quiver when he takes her his belt buckle off, and she's like, I've never had this experience. Like, why are my legs quivering? And there's a line, the legs have ears. I'm just like, that's such a weird specific. Just like you're like you're. I don't know, but I just, it, it felt very real and visceral in like a way that's just like, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, she writes about the body well. Yeah. Was it sex, having sex that would restore me to the sense of my life as a story? And she realizes then that how easy it is to hook up with guys. I'm really, I'm realizing something about how, how you and I approach this book, which is that you were way more focused on the uh, Bill Dongsroman coming of age part that has to do. I had to Google that when I saw that in your Goodreads review. Can Bill, you please explain that, Bill, what that Bill, word is? Bill Dongsroman? I've a, never heard it's that. It's a coming of age story. Okay. But it's like, I think Roman means means love, and so like Bildungsroman is like for for. It's, I think I think technically it means first love story. Okay, but like it's it's just uh, the, this this idea of growing up. But I think like in in our readings of it, I think it seems like you're much more focused on that part of it and on the um, her like the sexual narrative of her like growing through that. And I'm like so much more focused on the literature part of it. Well, yeah, I mean, like I I don't. It's no. It's no secret that like my favorite movies are largely coming of age and like high school like just like those are the is that movies. the case yeah okay like book smart and never going back and it's just everything like i feel like it's, it's sort of almost living vicariously through like my totally uneventful high school and college experience or whatever and 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 all my favorite movies are uh bitter and vicious dialogue driven social things about about, about angry adults yeah yelling at each other yeah 
but you know naked I, who's afraid of virginia wolf no and i think i think that's i think that's absolutely i think it's because i i i think that's spot on i yeah. that's yeah because also the literature thing, and we talked about this a little bit via text is like i haven't read any of these books she's talking about i actually haven't either really though so i think like but something that that struck me as really important is the um i think it's andre Breton, uh the text nadia but there's a part in there where he's like talking about how changing hair color is dishonest and things like that. Mm-hmm. How if you change it from a brunette to a blonde in order to hide who the person is, you're doing that person a disservice because you never know what you could be changing of their character that's fundamental through what you're changing of them. And it's giving her this justification to live her life in a way that both her life and her writing life in a way that is exploitative of the people around her, where she's essentially like using them for storytelling purposes, um, which goes into the, 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 what Svetlana says about her with regards to the aesthetic life, as opposed to the ethical life that Svetlana wants to live. Svetlana wants to live the ethical life where she's looking for a marriage and sort of wants to be part of the system. And Selin is using the people around her to live an aesthetic life because she wants to have adventures and things like that. So here's the quote about that. Soon the ethical and the aesthetic was the framework we used to talk about the ways we were different. When it came to choosing friends, Svetlana liked to surround herself with dependable, boring people who corroborated her in her way of being, while I was more interested in undependable people who generated different experiences or impressions. Svetlana liked taking instructions and survey classes, mastering basics before moving to the next level, getting straight A's. I had a terror of being bored, so I preferred to take highly specific classes with interesting titles, even when I hadn't taken the prereqs, and I had no idea what was going on. I could see how my way might be called aesthetic. It was less clear to me why Svetlana's was ethical, though it did seem, quote, responsible and obedient. I think, yeah, I think she's she's thinking of the word ethical in, in, in a much more modern sense than Kierkegaard is. Um, but also, uh, the book picks and chooses from either or. In a way, like in in that it ignores probably one of the most fundamental things uh, of Kierkegaard, which is that Kierkegaard is a Christian and believes that neither an aesthetic life or an ethical life is good. He thinks that both of those things will corrupt you entirely if you don't measure them through faith. Okay, which is, does not exist in the book. Where there's no like very very little no, and they even t- talk of religion at all. At the book. very end, there's someone, one of the guys she's like hooking up with in Turkey or whatever, is just like, so you know, let me talk to you about Islam. He's like, what's your faith like? She's like, you know, respectful but distant. Like that's the end, like the beginning of the end of the discussion. Just like, yeah, I'm Muslim to some extent, but in almost in name only. Right. I don't. Does she even identify as Muslim? No, right. No, no, no. It's not just, something that we she, think, that she we just think says about respect. Throughout. That might even be a lie, just to be like, "Hey, I don't want to talk to this guy about this thing." Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's interesting. Like divorcing Kierkegaard from religion is a fundamental betrayal of that text. Um, so she's she's like picking and choosing, which is what we do when we read literature and attach it to our lives. Well, that's right? the thing that when you were saying before about like all these things, like she's drawing meaning of this, but it's also like at the same time, it's Elif Batiman literally with the history of literature at her fingertips and she can write whatever novel she'd like just again with the chance theory of it all and like whatever oh just you know this is what someone like stumbled across like this is just a book that she found like this is the one that was on sale at the bookstore right, yeah, yeah. and it's just like oh yeah like this exactly follows your life it's because yeah because it's fiction right like it's whatever maybe but i think i i also think like uh critical critical theory wise and this is what fucking Slavo Žižek does which makes me feel a little insane who's that uh he's a Marxist philosopher uh who has written books and and has a movie called like the pervert's guide to cinema and stuff like that but he'll do like uh he'll be like oh here's what the the land before time has to tell us about the holocaust and things like that which is, which is that he'll just take he can he he shows you like basically like Anyone that has a little bit of critical theory under their belt can do this, but you can take any text at all sure. and analyze it from any of the major uh, lenses of criticism and attach it to like all sorts of social things. I do it. I do it in class, or I used to do it in class when I when I taught college. Um, I used to do it with uh, uh, like an exercise that we would do is for the first paper. I would say like, okay, like let's think of five different 
TV shows that we can watch together. And then we'll watch like five episodes of, of TV, like five half hour shows. And I'll let you guys pick. You can pick whatever you want. And so students will pick like an episode of Drake and Josh, an episode of SpongeBob, an episode of all these things. And then we'll just pick them apart and we'll show we'll show like how these things are reflective of their lives and how like the gender dynamics and class dynamics of these situations reflect their situations of the real world and whether or not those shows are doing any of it on purpose it's still there because we're all living in the same universe so like like and and the, the systems of power are the exact same regardless of of whether or not like one is a kid's show or one is a cartoon made right for under the sea etc cetera, etc cetera. um so I think part of what she's doing is that, like, I, I don't, I, I think she is obviously like Elif Batuman selected the text that she'd want to talk about, but like, I think you could have done like an I Ching thing where you were just like rolled the dice, sure. made it random, picked a bunch of things, and then and then still could have applied everything within those texts to Selen's life. Well, I think that's what I liked, you know, I, and I realized in high school is when I sort of went from like math brain to like English. I'm like, I I'm good at math, but I don't like, I don't enjoy math, and I just want to like read and talk about things. Is like. I realized, oh, you can make any point about anything, and as long as you have evidence to back it up, yeah, that's fine. And that's, that's fascinating to me that like mm-hmm. it could be almost seemingly objectively wrong, but if you're able to cite examples, you're you're right, even if it's crazy or like seemingly. Yeah, as long whatever. as you're interpreting the text in good faith and have uh, textual evidence to back it up, then. The book is yours. It's not the author's, right? This is my problem with uh, John Irving. Um, the offer is still out there for John Irving if he ever wants to fight me. But I don't think that he should have done an interview where he started telling us how to interpret Owen Meaning. Owen Meany. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, where, where are we? What are we? We're somewhere in toward the end of the, the school year, I think. Because then she's like, after she realizes... Oh, I can just like live life and uh, by my own terms, basically. She's the like twenty four seven fuck fest from that point on. Truly, she's like, I want to get paid to go overseas yeah. because you know, I guess being an international student or someone who like has family overseas and going there, she's like, every summer I'm gonna go somewhere. Well, she doesn't want to go to Turkey. They 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 like force her to go to right. Turkey because let's let's go is the Harvard Magazine travel guide, which uh, apparently sucks. I, I don't know anything about it. Well, no, no, no. no in, in the way she describes it. Oh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. She's just like, this is all incorrect. Oh, it sound, It also sounds like it's very like – there's something that I realized when I was about 14 years old, and I read Maxim Magazine. For the articles. Um, I mean, what I'm going to talk about is about the articles, so yes, ostensibly. I mean, I was, I was reading it to see Alyssa Milano in a bikini or whatever, but like I realized something that all of the articles had the exact same tone and the exact same kind of jokes. And, the, and like all of the jokes had the same setups and basically the same punchlines. They just swapped out different nouns to, to, to make it work. And when I was 14 years old, I thought to myself, I don't know if this is true, but when I was 14, I thought, I could write for Maxim Magazine. This seems very easy. Well, it seems like now, and I think it's probably happening, not even probably, I I know that it's happening. There's like AI, you know, content generation where it's like summing up things just like Mad Libs, basically, right? Oh, there's, yeah, there's that Zergnet shit where it's like... uh, Christina, Ad, the story of Christina Applegate just keeps getting sadder and sadder. It's always like the exact same headline, yep. but they just swap out Christina Applegate for like Sandra Bullock. And it's like, what is sad about Sandra Bullock? She's fine. Right. The, the funny, and this is on a tangent, but it just made me think that like there was a thing I was, I, I like a meme sort of was just like video game guides in the 90s. And it was just like how to get this key in this room. It was just like enter the door. There's a skeleton on your right. Kill a skeleton. Walk ahead. This key, the key's over there, whatever. And then video game guides today, it's like, the world of Elden Ring is a complicated and just like it's just fucking how do I get to the <laughs> so it's like it's the whole like you know just like vomit spewing of just like yeah. you need to write for a certain thing but you know uh, all of which is to say is that Let's Go seems to have the the tone like a kind of sarcastic and and obviously it's trying to keep its voice in in the the like tone of the harvard lampoon or something like that where it's like sarcastic and kind of condescending which is like especially annoying because like harvard students traveling around the world and condescendingly speaking about various places is like that shit just sounds racist to me well i also think that like she realizes because as she's going overseas she's in turkey because like there was like a joke. I don't know if it's a joke, but like all these people have like nervous breakdowns when they went to Turkey. Like just, I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's a joke. I think that she's describing something that is 
I may be essentially true of that time. I don't, I don't, it doesn't read as a joke to me, but it seems like a joke to her because she's from Turkey and she's just like, what could possibly be driving these people right. crazy? I, I only say it's a joke because it happened like three times. It's yeah. either like, this is like the most severe thing in the world or like something weird is going on. Anyway, she talks about how she goes over there and like everything is wrong. And she's like, it's, it, you know, the, the best thing was like either finding something was right because I could just like not have to change it or like an easy correction was even better because just like, oh yeah, like the, the bus the, the bus stop name changed or whatever, right? But then, you know, there's a thing later and I have this pulled out, a quote that she has where she's like, she's trying to get to an island because there's like some like tourist spot location or whatever. It's a Cyprus, right? I think so. And he's she has to catch a bus to go there. It's like the last bus of the day or whatever and this guy that she's with like, doesn't let her get on the bus. Like, it's just, it's this whole thing, right? Oh, this is not Cyprus. Sorry, go ahead. But she's, he's like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, the bus is coming back tomorrow. She's like, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I have to do it tonight for my job. Is there any other way I can get there? And he's just like, why do you want to go there so much? It's boring. It's just like a bunch of rocks and there's a fire in between. Like, that's all that it is. And she's like, there was something destabilizing about the de- the description of the chimera, chimera with its unmistakable ring of truth. A moment ago, I had thought that I really had to see it. Why? Why did anyone have to see anything? And I feel like we see this evolution in her where she wants to go, like, she's like, let's go is kind of filled with inaccuracies, and I can fix this, I want to represent Turkey well, and then she goes over there and just like, who cares? Yeah. And it just seems like she falls into, like, it, you you see how it gets filled with inaccuracies because of like, oh yeah, like, this is how it's described. I'm like, you didn't even go. Like, you know. Yeah, so. it's actually incredibly... Uh... Uh, being accurate is is a very like dull pain in the ass when you would rather be doing other things. Yeah, I think the selling from the idiot, yeah, would have done anything. You know, she would have gone to that island or whatever, no matter what, because she wants it to be right. She but wants here, to get things correct. But here, she's just like, oh yeah, who cares? I'm just gonna make out with this dude or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, I'd just rather hang out and have a good time. So mm-hmm. that's good. That guy seemed like he sucked though. Oh yeah, they all. I, I again, I don't like any of them, but you know. Uh, here's something that from the text that I thought was fun. Joanne had just biked 50 miles to Lowell, Massachusetts and back. Is there anything special in Lowell? Riley asked. Joanne looked thoughtful. There probably is, she said, hanging her bike on its special rack. Okay. So the interesting thing about this to me is that like this book is largely about literature, right? Its love of literature is of literature that is of a certain era and of a certain importance. And, and it sort of gets juxtaposed with uh, uh, her coming of age and, and, and embracing pop culture in an interesting way. The thing that is special about Lowell, Massachusetts is that that's where Jack Kerouac is from. Oh, right. So like Jack Kerouac is this, like if you hear Lowell, Massachusetts, that's the thing that I think people think about when they think. No, people like you think about it. Exactly. Yeah. But well, literature people think about it like that. But but like I think it shows the kind of literature that this text is dismissive of as opposed to the kind of literature that this text embraces. Right. So like something like Jack Kerouac beat generation literature, American literature from a certain point, which is like anti-academic um, as opposed to Andre Breton, Dostoevsky. Kierkegaard, uh, Heisman. So you like this Thoreau. because it's it's pretty fart sniffy, is what you're no, saying. No, well, I mean, I'm the opposite of that personally. Actually, um, uh, my, my like, I don't read academic literature all that often. I read more like I I I, pro- I don't like Kerouac that much specifically, but like that's the type of literature that I do read more. Like I I embrace like I feel like I'm more of a I'm a man of the people, Joey. <laughs> No, but I, no, I mean, keep, keep keep me out of it entirely. But like, I think that this book is doing a specific thing where it's dismissing a kind of literature. Well, she has an aesthetic, and, right? This yeah. is her aesthetic life. Mm-hmm. This is like, mm-hmm. this is bad. Yeah. And the, this is what's good. Yeah, which is kind of funny because Kerouac is sort of the epitome of the aesthetic life. And he's the epitome of the kind of thing that Celine is doing when she's picking up and going to Turkey and going like around by herself with a backpack on, yeah. touring the countryside, meeting new interesting people. Like mm-hmm. that is uh like if, if she were to turn to Kerouac the way that she turned to Breton or Heisman's or any of these other people, she would find as much in common, if not more in common with that than with what she's 
what she does find. But in the text, she doesn't even recognize it. She's like, what's special about Lowell, Massachusetts? It's like, I don't know, probably something. Right. And then and that's it. And I probably read that. I'm just like, all right. Yeah, but that stuck out to me because it was its, its own individual paragraph. So I feel like it had to – I might be way off here, but that feels significant. So here's a question. If we hopefully get a third Selene book, Selene book in five years, who knows what, how do you think she will evolve personally? Because we see a lot of growth from the first book to this book. Yeah. In, I think, largely good ways. I don't think there's necessarily anything that's bad. But, like, where do you – how do you think – what will she be into? How will she view the world differently? How will she approach things? Where do you see this character growing? Knowing basically this is somewhat autobiographical to an extent. I mean, I don't I, I don't know where the character actually will go, but I think that too natural, like let's say it ends after four years. It ends after a senior year in Harvard. I think easy, easy places to go are feminism and Marxism. Oh, because you were saying that you think that each novel is going to have like different theory, like critical theories. Yeah, which which like function within the context of academia, right? And and like the academic life, which is like when you think about kids going to college, it's like they come home with their heads filled with ideas about feminism and Marxism. So like it wouldn't surprise me if the next book were named The Second Sex or something like that, the Simone de Beauvoir text, or and the third one were called Capital or something like that. Um, and you and you had like, you know, this evolution of her into a person who moves through these spaces because like I think this book, I, I mean, I, I think this is I think it would be pretty easy to apply a feminist lens to all of this. I mean, it's easy to apply a feminist lens to anything, especially if it's a book with largely uh, a female cast. Um, oh, that's not that's not true because like feminism is the analysis of masculinity and stuff like that, too. But I, I, I'm wary of this thing that I, I forget who said it. I, I think it may have been Gautry Spivak or something like that. Um, Who's that? that? Uh, a um, post-colonial theorist. Um, but her her idea is that all minority narratives are doomed to be nationalistic. Like if you're a woman writing a text, that text becomes about being a woman. Okay. Where, where so, so like I think that there's something interesting in this book in that it seems to be self-consciously avoiding politics. Right. It seems almost like an anti-political book. Just like the first book. Yeah, but I think that it's anti-politics are actually very much like open it up to this idea of looking at it like what does it mean to not talk about these politics in this book because she's obviously subject to the 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 systemic power dynamics and and things like that of men etc cetera, etc cetera, especially especially in this one as she evolves so like an interesting place for the next book to go and I would never tell Elif Bottomman knows what she's doing she doesn't need me instructing her on this but like an interesting place to go for the next one would be to to analyze the things that she's been through in this book through a feminist lens sure um and then the the book has largely been had a lack of class consciousness, and I think that's interesting too. So to look at it through a Marxist lens, is... well, because I think that it's a very different type of book. But Loner, also about Harvard, mm-hmm. is classist. Like they talk about class a lot in that, and about David Faderman like utilizing yeah. his Harvard privilege to like one up like the everyday Joes in New York City when he's like stalking the girl he's in love with, right? Like they he used like that's here just like everyone I meet is from Harvard, or like it just they're. Turkish people who like are just in, in awe of Harvard. They don't like go in, right? It's just so. I think yes, I agree. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I so I think I I think there's like a path that this that this travels through. Like it tells someone's journey through academics, but each novel is also about how those academics shape the various worlds that this this person lives through. So, you know, here we have um in in in, in the first one it was mostly linguistics, right? He, and here we have the this idea of critical theory, but also, um genre theory specifically because remember she asks Ivan to talk about genre theory and he's like I don't know what that is right do you have anything to say about the stuff that happens with Ivan where like she accidentally she's like talks to Ivan's ex-girlfriend by accident thinking that it's Ivan well I think there's a case of mistaken identity I don't have a ton to say about that but it is interesting to me that after she does that she like whether that's a breaking point or what like that's when she becomes suicidal Mm mm-hmm 
like within pages of it, I think. Like she, there's like a, there's literally a paragraph. It seems like she's gonna like, she's gonna jump or something. Like it just seems. I thought longingly about jumping out a window, not our bedroom window, which is blocked by the bed and only on the third floor and overlooked the turtle-shaped kiddie pool of a childcare center, but some other higher window. For some reason, the image that came to mind was Peter explaining to someone in a quiet, serious voice that Selen's problems had been more serious than anyone had realized. No way I thought I was going to stick around and bury those people. But I feel like, I think that's like literally the page after she talks to Zeta. And I just think that, Ivan's ex-girlfriend, and I feel like it. there's something about like a breaking point or something. Yeah. And I don't have any like deeper thing, but I was just like, the one to the other. Because like, I think that, it doesn't seem like she seems unhappy. Like she seems like distraught that like she can't be with Ivan. Yeah, I I would actually hesitate to call that suicidal. I think that that's a that that's a suicidal ideation that exists as like an interruptive thought very briefly, but she moves on from it and she's sad, she's depressed, but like she never seems like someone that's going to commit suicide. No, but then she I think that it it's telling that she then goes to therapy and takes mm-hmm. it more seriously and then listens to her mother's advice about asking for antidepressants and getting on Zoloft and like like it feels like a turning point. Yeah. Where maybe she's not suicidal, but she realizes that she's unhappy. Right, and she needs help. Yeah. So Egg ends her email. To close out this email, I'm gonna pose a question, but if you've already discussed this, you can pretend that I wrote, All in all, I really love the novel. <laughs> With how the book categorizes then, would you say you live an aesthetic or an ethical life? Asking us whether we live an aesthetic or an ethical life? Yeah. What do you think? What do you think you are? So aesthetic life is living for the beauty of life, right? Like yeah, describe describe what they both are, because I understand it within the text, but I don't know if I could describe them myself. Um, an, an, an aesthetic life means that you are living essentially with the goals of of uh, pleasure and trying to make your life as enjoyable as as it can be. Okay. Um, and and you have less regard for like conventions and societal rules and things like that whereas the so not at all what i do continue whereas the ethical life is is um like about building a life based on civic responsibility and family and who you are i feel like what's interesting given when this book came out is that i think over the last two years in the pandemic a lot of people probably have shifted and not necessarily as into an aesthetic life where it's like i'm not going to do anything but just like i need to like I was on a path before that I don't know where I was. I wasn't happy. And now just like, I'm going to take time to like smell the roses ostensibly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think, I think there is probably like a societal shift toward more of an aesthetic life. But yeah, I think maybe. if I have to pick one or the other, I'm definitely more, I think ethical, even though I don't really want to be. Yeah. It's funny. I think that, I, I think that if people, people who know me, I think would probably think that I, I live an aesthetic life because I, th- because a lot of my thoughts and things like that are concerned with aesthetics, um, you know, art, books, movies, etc. Um, and I'm uh, a noted pervert as well. No, just kidding. Um, Maxim Magazine, man. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but, you know, like the last five or so years of my life have been entirely defined by familial responsibility for me. Yeah. So, like, I there's n- there's no way that I would be living anything but an ethical life. Uh, and, and, like, I think it's really important to point out that the difference uh, – an aesthetic life and an ethical life, one is, like, there's not a moral value attached to either of those things. They can both be good and they can both be bad. And I think probably most lives you go through cycles, you do both. Yeah, for sure. I think that you, a lot of people live aesthetic lives when they're in college, right? And and then they become – like Svetlana is a unique character because she's aware that she's going to live an ethical life. She's aware that right. what she wants from the beginning. And I think a lot of people, like even in college, they're like, I know that I want a family. I know that I'm not blah, blah, blah. And I know it's not a direct correlation, but I, I do think that like people who have a book podcast are not necessarily living an aesthetic life. No. Well, no. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. Maybe. Yeah, I think I no, I think you're confusing the idea of aesthetic and and uh carefree. Yeah, I I think you're you're thinking of ethical as being boring and aesthetic as being like the, I think the I am, fun yeah. people who go out and do right. things, but that's not that's not what it's aesthetic is is just as much about um making the most of each moment kind of. It's hard that that's really hard to say because the most for each moment for someone could be having a child and really like loving that sure. child and being or like being in a committed relationship 
Um, so it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to. I mean, again, there's no value to each of them. And also, Kierkegaard wants you to balance these things with faith. Sure. So, like, you can't live a a, a morally good ethical life without faith. You can't live a morally good aesthetic life without faith. Um, I disagree with that. Um, and also, I haven't read either or in a really, really long time. So I like I might be like I was a probably sophomore in college. I was probably the same age that she was when she read it. So like I, I don't, you know, I might be getting a lot of this stuff wrong. But for for me, I would say it's not it's not really a question I, I live an ethical life because i'm i'm bound by responsibility to live an ethical life right if you don't have responsibilities you can live an aesthetic life i know people who have responsibility like i think that dylan leads, leads an aesthetic life yes um while also being like a good like family person and things like that i don't think that's a problem but but like he you know he is and has he's long... transitioned an aesthetic life into one that also has responsibilities yeah but he's like one of the people that f- the entire time that I've known him, he's been, like, able to get up and go. You know, yeah. he's just like, yeah, I'll go to Thailand or something like that. Yep. Um, and because he's, like, more, like, focused on, on the, the whims of it. But, like, aesthetic versus versus ethical, like, there's not a moralistic value to either of those things. I don't know that I would say that you're, you're living an ethical life um, as opposed to an aesthetic life. I think you've sort of changed yourself to an area by buying a house and things like that. Um, and your civic, you, you like take civic responsibilities. You, you donate money to places that you, and causes that you believe in and things like that. But I don't know if that is counter to, to an aesthetic life at all. Um, I don't know. It's harder for me to judge you than it is for me to like, like pick. I think it's also like the way that you view other people and the way that you, like no one knows your life the way that you do. And I think it's maybe, maybe it's either easier or harder to judge yourself. Like, yeah. Because you could look at me and be like, oh, like you, you know, you're able to do what you want. Like you're able to go to Spain for two weeks or whatever. You know what I mean? Like sure. it just, yeah. So, I don't know. I, but I think our instincts are to say that like if someone's a homebody, then they're living an ethical life, right. and not an aesthetic life. But I don't think that's true. Right. Because I think that like being a, a guy here, and I'm not, I'm not talking about you here. Although maybe I am. Um, be, like, like if you're like a guy that's like playing video games for 14 hours a day, then like that's still an aesthetic life. It's just like right. it's just not like the aesthetic life of like someone who's like it's not an idealized or whatever. Yeah. Backpacking through Europe on right. a whim, right? right? Yes. Anything else to talk about with the novel? There's one quote that I really really liked. While What's you here? think, and this I think it might even just be like its own little section as well. On the roof of the hotel in Side or Side S I D E, a German girl having heard me speak Turkish, demanded to see me belly dance. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I'm from New Jersey, I said. Oh, forget it then, she said, turning her back as best as she could, like it might have been contagious. And just, you know, the fact that we're from New Jersey, just like, oh, you speak Turkish? Like, let me see you belly dance. Like, just, you know, the stereotypical whatever. I'm from New Jersey. Oh, ew, no. <laughs> just thought it was very funny. I thought, I thought this part was really funny, too. Uh, in the chance class, we read an interview with John Cage when he said that the most profound music to him now was the honking of cars on Sixth Avenue. Oh yeah, this was because he no longer needed the stature and overbearingness of what we call music. If something is boring after two minutes, Cage wrote, "Try it for four, then eight, then sixteen, then thirty-two." I sighed. Only someone who is already old and famous could say something like that. That some randomly occurring garbage was the greatest art form i couldn't go around being like here's the sounds of sixth avenue oh it doesn't sound interesting to you try it for 32 minutes nor did i want to yeah and the only other the, my other favorite thing that I, I i screenshot or took a picture of from the book is when she's looking she i think it's when she finds either or but before she finds either or she's like looking around a, a bookstore and she says, why were poems so expensive when they had so few words? Yeah, that's funny. The Flowers of Evil cost $30. I opened to a random page, Don Juan in Hell. Quote, women, their open dresses exposing pendant breasts, writhe under a dark sky and ah, and like a herd of sacrificial victims, let trail behind a long drawn out moan. What? Why were the women in hell? $30. <laughs> uh, and he, the, here's like a thing that I... Um, Felt more like it was from the the last novel than this one, but um, works. We learned the Russian verbs for to marry, which were different for men and for yes, women. Yes. A man got wived on someone, prepositional case, while a woman went out and husbanded after someone, accusative case. Irina Nikolaevna illustrated the difference with stick figures. Everyone laughed at the man on the woman. Yep. So, like, again, it's, it's returning you to this idea that language sort of determines uh, the various... 
systems and stuff yes. in, in, in our in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of our world, keep... no, I don't think. Wait, hold on. There's keep... no, no, no. Hold on. Wait, there was one more thing that I wanted to say. Keep reading. <sighs> you son of a gun! You absolute bastard! I nailed it, though. Did you have another thing to say, or did you want to just say your crime? Crime's living the ethical life. Today's crime is intentionally poisoning the food at Chipotle. Strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life with his words.